Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Soul Brew Podcast. This is season four, episode five, eight days a week. We are talking to Gary McGowan of the Triage Method, or you might know him as Skinny Gaz on Instagram. We cover topics of Gary, who I have known since my personal training days. He is a qualified physiotherapist. He is now studying medicine and he runs a coaching business. Um, Stephen, you want to come in there? <laughs> yes, I do. Uh, we spoke to Gary at the end of the summer. So it was quite a while back. Um, but we're both fascinated by his work ethic, his ability to both be studying as a doctor in his final year and also maintaining quite a successful business. We spoke to him about a lot of things in life. <laughs> One thing uh, we spoke to, oh, well, actually, in terms of the episode name, uh, this episode is called Eight Days a Week. Um, because we like to use songs as a title and the famous Beatles song, Eight Days a Week, because uh, we couldn't find a song called 13 or 14 Days a Week, which is how much Gary seems to get done in a week in terms of work. Um, so we found that a quite a fitting name. Um, but also Gary is sort of searching for a meaning in life right now, don't you think, Aidan? Yeah, he's searching for meaning outside of work. So <clears throat> as you listen to the, to the episode, you'll see that Gary works a lot. Um, and as Stephen already said, does sort of inspire us as well to like just show you how much you can get done in a week if you wanted to. Um but the thing with Gary is that he seems to struggle to find meaning outside of work. And we discussed this in the episode and it really ties in well with the book that Stephen and I are both reading for this series uh, of podcasts, which is Man's Search for Meaning. Uh, it's a book by Viktor Frankl. We're going to do our last episode debriefing it. But between now and then, if you wanted to read the book, you can do so. Um, you'll find it in any good bookstore or you'll find it online also if you listen to audiobooks. Before we start the episode, if you would be so kind to please like and subscribe to the podcast. Um, give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts, wherever you do, because all those ratings really do help us and help our name get pushed up to the top of the charts and we can reach more people. If you would like to buy Stephen and myself a cup of coffee, if you ever would buy us a cup of coffee, you can do so by following the links in the bio or finding us on Instagram, a Soul Brew Podcast. And on there, we have a link tree where you can donate the price of a coffee. With that money, we put it back into the podcast uh, via buying merchandise or equipment or trying to improve the podcast for everybody involved. Yep, and we're also on Facebook and Twitter where you'll find us updating our feeds with the latest news in Soul Brew Podcast. And, and for now? For now, enjoy the podcast. Um, the podcast is one of the first times it happens to us. Happened to us. <clears throat> for some reason, the podcast 
or uh, the garage band, the garage band, the garage band, which we record onto, stopped recording towards the end of the podcast. So it, it does end a little abrupt, uh, abruptly, but me and Stephen tie up nicely at the end, actually, what the conversation, how the conversation ended. So you can for sure listen to the whole podcast. You'll take away plenty of golden nuggets of information, which I think I have and I think Stephen has also. So keeping that in mind, enjoy the podcast. Okay, everyone, today we are talking to Gary McGowan, who is the head coach of the triage method and is also studying medicine. I followed Gary from my early coaching days myself. Um, we also have Stephen Doak here beside me, my co-host. Hello. <laughs> Gary, you're very welcome to the podcast. And as always, we introduce the co- podcast with a coffee. Um, so maybe you can tell us a little bit about what your relationship with coffee is and have you any particular roaster that you uh, drink more often? No problem. So firstly, pleasure to be here. And my relationship with coffee, I would probably describe as turbulent uh, in, that, <laughs> in that sometimes it's about the flavor and sometimes it's very much about the function. Um, so preferably when I'm not in a, a very busy period with exams and, and lots of work and things like that, I'm able to kind of enjoy my coffee a bit more and I try to set limits on myself because I find that if you're having three, four, five, six plus cups a day, you don't even appreciate a nice coffee anymore. It's just mm-hmm. the instant coffee is almost the same as the, the high-end coffee. But when I'm enjoying my coffee, um, I recently got a, a, a Sage coffee machine, which has been a godsend a few, just a few months ago. And I've been getting a lot of coffee from Three Fools Coffee which is a, a coffee shop in Cork. Um, they do great coffee, in my opinion. I'm also friends with the the owner, Gary, who does jujitsu with me. So, you know, a bit of a personal tie there as well. But yeah, they do great coffee here in Cork and uh, I order my beans from them and I make it at home most of the time. So most of the time I'm going with a, a black coffee or else, else I'll do the super set of the double espresso on a flat white brown sugar. <laughs> That's my that's my like go to. I've got a busy morning of work, double espresso, flat white with some brown sugar. I'm ready then. I'm good to go. Nice. I made I made of ours. Sean McCarthy has has the exact same coffee order every time he <laughs> goes for a coffee. So it's obviously must be some sort of trend somewhere. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I'd say though your AM might be a little bit earlier than Sean McCarthy's. You are up at are you up at like five o'clock most days or? Yeah, my, my, like my when I'm in kind of my normal routine, four thirty is kind of like my time. Um, it just gives me a good few hours. If like for example, if I'm going to the hospital like next week, I'll be, leave the house at about half seven in the hospital for eight. It means that I've got three hours in the morning where I, you know, can dedicate that to triage work, or else I'll get a workout in, or there's just something else I can add on to the kind of basic eight to four, eight to five schedule that's there. So yeah, normally the coffee starts quite early. Fair enough, yeah. <laughs> and you call that three fuels? Did you say the coffee was for us? Three fools. Three fools. fools. Yeah. Very good. Three of us. Very <laughs> fitting, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's a bit of a trend with three here because you're the triage method. Can you explain a little bit what that is for anyone that might not have heard of it? Yeah, so when, I, when we talk about, um, so the word triage, People, people often assume it, as, assume it as something to do with the word tri- three because it was three of us that kind of started the company initially. But triage actually, you, you'll see it if you go into um, 
any emergency department in a hospital, you'll see that there's always a triage room. And the word triage emerged initially from kind of medic medicine on the battlefield in war, really, because it's basically if you've got if you've got a, a mortar, let's say that's hit a trench and loads of different people are injured. You have to decipher some sort of order of priority. Who do you treat first? Who do you leave? Who's fine on their own, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of our general philosophy with coaching health and fitness as well. Different people need different levels of intervention. And what we find to be the best way of coaching is to find what's the most important thing for this person right now at this time, rather than treating everyone with a cookie cutter approach. So that's where the name comes from, triage. Um, and we've been in business for, I think, six, close to six years now. Um, and we've got myself and Patty, who are kind of the, we're the owners. And then we've got uh, a number of different coaches working for us now as well. So uh, we've been coaching up to now primarily, but a lot of educational content. And then the plan longer term is to move into more of the personal trainer education space where uh, we provide courses and education to trainers to hopefully um, provide a higher standard of education. So that's the aim. Deadly, yeah. And that's what you do from half four <laughs> till half seven before you uh, go on then and go into the hospital. So explain maybe, I, I guess we kind of know your backstory. So um, where, what are you doing in the hospital at the moment or what's your position in there? Yeah. So at the moment, when, like when I say going into the hospital next week, it is as a student. So I'm in my, or starting anyway, my final year of medicine. So that's a, a four-year course um, that I'm doing. Not medicine is normally five years in Ireland, but I did a previous degree, so it's a graduate entry pathway. So I did physiotherapy previously. Now I'm doing medicine in my final year, and then obviously you go out and you start your proper formal medical training then after you graduate. So that's what I'm doing at the moment. The time commitment varies quite a bit. So you know, I said I said I could be in the hospital eight to four, eight to five. It really depends. Some days the consultant might tell you go away at 12 and that will mean then I have more time to work on, on triage. So it's it's kind of just a case of doing what I can when I'm available, um, catching up more at the weekends, etc. But but yeah, we make it work. Very good. And then in terms of the medicine, what? so your undergrad was physiotherapy, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What was it that obviously you, you've set up triage you're into coaching and physio what was it that brought you on to medicine yeah so for me when i when i was in kind of my final year of physio i had a placement that was uh, a little bit more medically oriented in that it was a respiratory physio placement and that means you're working with a lot of patients who have diseases like copd some lung cancer etc and it's still primarily just exercise prescription but one of the things that I was exposed to was a lot of what the doctors were doing, what the doctors were saying, the medical um, side of things. And I just really enjoyed that. I, I kind of enjoyed that throughout physio. I, I found it interesting, you know, how they were diagnosing the diseases, how it was kind of managed overall. And it just gave me that extra bit of interest in exploring um, the medical side of things. So I decided I'd go on. Um, go a bit further with it I decided that you know worst case scenario you know I'm a, I'm a doctor and triage will benefit from that anyway mm -hmm. uh, but primarily you know going in the the goal was to I guess 
have a challenge in some sense was a small part of it probably um the other part of it was just genuine interest i was just really interested in medicine and i know that having a formal path obviously makes that a lot better and then thirdly i was interested in obviously becoming a doctor and i and a number of different fields that i'm interested in in particular so um so yeah that's that's how we got there it's really nice to hear that i find like a lot of people would have pressure to pick one thing in one horse and run with it and focus on yeah. it um but it's not always so easy to run maybe two or three horses at any one time so how do you structure your life that you know you you've got a good going business you're six years in business it's obviously successful um you're also trying to study and become a doctor how do you set up your life in a way gary that you can actually execute that consistently across time because that's they're they're two big chunks out of, out of your time so i'd imagine how do you dedicate your time and set up your schedule yeah so the first thing i think is understanding that almost all the time like if you're taking on something that seems to be quite a bit above and beyond what the average you know person on the street is committing to each day then you have to appreciate that you also have to sacrifice something that they have in their life like that's the way i think of it and i think you have to be honest with yourself then because i think a lot of people look at people who are very busy or very successful on social media and they think oh god i want all of that in my life but what they don't see because it's kind of it's not visible is what's not in their life and you know for me i've i definitely sacrificed a lot of um you know, events with friends, potentially even, you know, nourishing friendships that would be better now. Um, had I, you know, spent more time with friends over the years, just, you know, the, the nights out, like movies, Netflix, all those types of things. Like, it's a kind of a classic joke that when, like any of my friends, if a talk about a movie comes up, they'll be like, oh yeah, ask Gary about that movie because like, they know I've just seen, I haven't seen any movies and I'm just not that guy who knows references or mm -hmm. anything like that because, I've just sacrificed a lot of that over the years. And, um, you know, that that's that's not always positive. And you also have to appreciate that, you know, there may be detriments to your health if you're going to take on a lot of stuff, you know, whether it be mental or physical, if you want to divorce the two. And that's uh, something that you have to understand. And I open with that because I don't want to make it sound glamorous. Um, but how do I fit it all in? A lot of it is, is number one, sacrificing the kind of non-necessary components of life. So I'm I'm absolutely not sitting down to binge Netflix. I very rarely have a plan for the weekend, you know, of what sort of fun things I'm going to do. There's not that much of that. Um, what I basically do is kind of do the equivalent of a full week of medicine and a full week of another job with triage. So most of the time, it's probably... I don't know, an 80 to 100 hour commitment per week if you were to break it down. And most of that with medicine is Monday to Friday. So if uh, if it's just a normal period of the semester without exams, probably between 8 and 5 p.m. is probably dedicated to medicine, something along those lines. There will be one to two hours of uh, training, working out at some point in the day. It'll be in the morning or it might be in the evening if it's jujitsu. And then the morning before I'm in the hospital is going to be triage work. And then the evening when I'm not in the gym is also going to be triage work. So that's how I set up most of my week. Then on a Saturday and a Sunday, um, I'll just do full days of, of primarily triage work. Or if I have assignments uh, to catch up on, or I have exams more that might be dedicated to medicine, but 
if you add it up throughout the week, if you do three hours in the morning, three hours in the evening, you do that five days a week, that's 30 hours already. And then if you do two 10 hour days of the weekend, that's 50 hours I can de dedicate to triage, even if I have, you know, 40 to 50 hours of medicine as well. So that's how it ends up working out. I think when you break it down day by day, it doesn't sound, maybe it doesn't sound too bad. <laughs> I like to think I tell myself that anyway. Um, but honestly, like I, I, I enjoy my life. And I think the, the good thing is that there's always, there's always a next step and there's always something that's rewarding. And I think the most important thing is that if you're going to take on a, an extra thing in your life or a couple of extra things, you need to be very careful that you're still able to do it well, because I know for sure mm -hmm. if I had started medicine and if I was getting C's and D's in my exams and I was on the border of failing and I felt like I was at the bottom end of the class as a student, that would that would crush me mentally and that'd be a lot more stressful. Whereas because I know I'm able to keep up a higher standard that I try to keep for myself, you know, that's my like objective marker of okay, you're still doing fine. You know, there's still some reward. You're clearly doing well. You're competent. That's the most important thing for me. If you're becoming incompetent at everything you're doing because you're taking on too much, that's really where the wheels start to fall off, I think. Well, that's very impressive in fairness. Uh, and I suppose listening to that, from my point of view, I'm, part of me is thinking you're an absolute madman. And then also a serious amount of respect for having that willpower and resilience to keep going and keep going. Has there been a point? So you have three years of medicine done now. Yeah. yeah. Has there been a point or a few points in the last three years that you're just like, oh fuck this, or I'm I can't be I can't do this anymore? Or has there been that point of or low in those three years? And if so, how did you get through that? Yeah, I think there's been a few moments, all right, and it's generally, generally kind of prior to an exam period because it's all it's almost always before exams that everyone gets super stressed rather than during the exams. It's not even necessarily the night before; it's those couple of weeks leading up to it where you're like, you, my immediate thought is, everyone else has done so much more work than you. How could you possibly have done enough work if you're trying to do all this? And I, I like that's that's my negative self talk. I'm like. You're, you know, you're trying, this is all your ego. You're trying to do too much. You're going to get exposed. Everyone's going to find out that you're actually dumb and all this sort of stuff. That's the, the talk that starts to creep in. But then inevitably, once the exams get going and I come out the other end and, you know, we get results and stuff like that, I'm like, it's a little bit of reassurance, but I find that it barely matters. It's almost always the case that it, then once the next round of exams come around, it's almost the same experience. But I think that's to some degree it's universal student experience um if you're doing exams that are quite challenging so there, that's part of the time it pops up most of the time throughout the rest of the semester really i think i tend to manage it quite well i think i definitely have a, a higher than probably a higher than average like stress tolerance if you will I, I tend to handle it quite well um but with that said you know during the first one to two years of medicine, my mood was definitely uh, a lot lower than than it had been on average. But I think that also started before medicine. Like it was probably a bit of a downward trend where my maybe average mood was just a little bit lower. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, I, I did a lot of, of questioning, like, was this just due to stress? And I think stress probably played a role for sure. But I think there was, you know, other broader themes some personal and some more so philosophical i guess where 
I guess I had become maybe very nihilistic in my thought process in terms of, you know, looking around the world and saying, oh, you know, what's the point? Is there, is there any, is there any meaning here at all? Are, are humans inherently good? Are we all just fucking egotistical maniacs and extreme self-criticism and just lots of kind of more philosophical questions that led me to maybe having lower mood for a period of time um, definitely became depressed but that has improved um, quite a bit and I think the interesting thing is that like despite like when my mood was lower versus when it's higher now because I'm in a pretty good place now I don't think it actually made much of a difference for me personally in terms of my ability to engage with medicine or you know do my work um probably on the, the spectrum of higher functioning depression if you will like people don't use that phrase clinically really it's it's kind of one of those things it's more of an internet <laughs> diagnosis but uh yeah that's 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 been my experience really where if i if my mood is really low i find that i almost just retreat into my work rather than retreating away from my work which is kind of the experience a lot of people have so i'd be more likely to just reject doing any activities any leisure activities anything outside of work and just retreat in here because it's like if i'm here at the desk and i'm doing something at least there's some sort of purpose to this thing um so so yeah i i don't think it, it took me away from from medicine or my work to any significant extent but uh, definitely periods of lower mood but overall, I, I think it would be hard to attribute that solely to, to the stress of medicine. How did you come to the awareness of um, a lower mood? Was there a trigger? Was it a family member or a loved one that said that had picked it up? Had you been? Did you realize that you were in a lower mood? And then what was your um, going? By the way, you've talked already. You're quite strategic about things, so I presume you approached that lower mood in a strategic manner. So how, how did you manage to get yourself through that to where you are now? What was that process like? Yeah, so I think um, I, I I had a bit of an awareness for a while that I was maybe becoming a little bit more irritable and maybe my personality had changed a bit, I felt like. And there was, you know, some behaviors and thought processes that I had identified in myself that I didn't really like. Um, a lot of the a lot of the material I would you know read and listen to and stuff it it became of of more of a, a negative tilt and I think what I found was that I, I I didn't have that kind of spark of being that kind of happy happy or upbeat person. There had been a a couple of times where people both close to me and people who hadn't known me for that long but were still able to see something in, in medicine had said you know are, are you all right are, is there seems to be something um or or had noticed things about me that had maybe changed a little bit so there were some kind of uh indicators along the way but kind of when it when it came to it it was more like a it was a bit of an abrupt realization i guess where once i once i kind of acknowledged it to myself it was like i was able to look more clearly at how things had changed over time um and then that was kind of reflected then in discussing with with family and and those close to me so so yeah it was a little bit of both in terms of the identification of it um in terms of the strategy out of it um i was firstly i, I went to a doctor um to my gp and i you know went ahead and took medication and still am on medication on sertraline uh, which is an ssri and 
I had no issue about that. You know, my, my GP was like, you know, that look, do, we might consider medication and kind of maybe tiptoeing around it a little bit, which, because the, there's the assumption that there's this stigma and people don't want to take medication because they think they're, I don't know, cheating or hacking their brain or whatever people say. But I was like, no, it's, it's, a, it's a medication. It, I, I'm aware of the data. I'm aware that it leads to positive outcomes. I'm aware of like roughly how it, how it behaves. So I was like, yeah, I have no issue taking medication. I'll take medication, see how it goes. Um, and kind of went from there. And then, then what I, I did was, I suppose, in some way strategic, some way, some ways just maybe the result of rather than the cause of an improvement of, in mood was I definitely started to be more deliberate about taking, taking time off, but not even necessarily taking time off, but trying to do things that were not just uh, purposeful, if you will, that they were just mm -hmm. for enjoyment um started to change some of the material i was exposed to um which which isn't necessarily a long-term solution but if you're reading lots of let's say books or podcasts that are all about why the world is awful and you're just consuming you know divisive political stuff and you're reading about nihilistic philosophy and that's all you expose yourself to that's your whole feed online and you're looking at that all the time that is going to have an impact on your mental health, you know, so you need to curate that to some degree. And that's, that's kind of what I did. I started to focus on um, slightly more positive material. I would, you know, reflect on the the good times in my life and, and try to expose myself to those types of situations. Um, and then I suppose overall thinking about what I, what I wanted my, my life to look like long-term, because I think when I, when my mood was low, one of the things that I started to, to think was, God, do I care about anything else but 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 work and just ha everything having a purpose? Um, and and I thought about my future and I was like, will I ever enjoy? Like, because I've all, I I'm mad about kids. I really want to have kids as many as I can. And I, I thought about it and I was like, at that time I was thinking, God, am I even going to be able to you know spend time with my kids when I'm older? In terms of like, like, will I enjoy it? I don't seem to enjoy very much outside of work at the moment. Am I going to be like this then? Um, and that's one of those things that was a bit of a red flag for me that I started to think about the events in the future as being inherently negative outside of work. Mm -hmm. um, and prior to that, I would have had a bit far more optimistic view on the future. Um, so I started to view both the, the past and the future as being a little bit more positive as I came out of that. And now I like to think that, you know, I have a, a bit more of a an understanding of maybe when I'm feeling poor, when I'm feeling a bit better, because I think I'm probably at the, probably at the extreme end of the, the stoicism side of things in terms of not really allowing my schedule or what I need to do or my reaction to change based on my mood at all, which I think is a, a good trait on average in terms of get up and do what you need to do, you know, regardless of how you feel, but that can also go too far where you don't even acknowledge how you feel because, you know, you're just blocking everything out all the time so so yeah it's 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 not as strategic and, and linear as i think um you might expect but it's 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 improved and that's the most important thing yeah it sounds like you're asking yourself a lot of big questions and um, yeah and that's kind of the problem to be yeah. honest like that's what i always say to people uh, say to people that ask me this is a lot of i think my periods of low mood have been the result of just this extreme, questions. yeah, just yeah. extreme existential questioning and like 
bearing the burden of problems that are far beyond you on mm. yourself. And I think that that's, that's something that can weigh very heavily on you because like, although I think this is a really useful thought experiment, like at, at its worst, I was like, my, my perception of myself was I'm no different to a, a guard at Auschwitz because it's just I about to say you need to stop that, reading books about Auschwitz. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the thing. Yeah. It's all, it's all this fucking shit, that, you know, ordinary men and Solzhenitsyn and all this sort of crap. You know, um, that, that was my kind of perspective was we have similar um, bookshelves. Mm. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, stay away from them. And I don't know, read, read something more positive. You need to be in the right headspace. Do you find, I found, especially in my 20s that I would have started asking myself more questions. I think is it just a process that, that men do that they come into their 20s and they're starting to question things. I think it's a good idea to question things uh, if you have good people around you that you know can, as you say, throw it back to you. But it gets to that point where maybe you're just questioning a little bit too much, which maybe you found yourself. But I don't know with the people that you coach, Gary, I don't know what your clientele is like, but would you find that men in their 20s, late teens, would be coming to you with that kind of mindset as well of questioning things or or do you think it was just something that you went through yourself i uh, know absolutely yeah and i think um i think the process of, of kind of of questioning and understanding the world around you understanding your own psychology trying to you know question the meaning of life all this sort of thing i think that could be a very fruitful process i think that it's a it's a sign of of intellectual development from my perspective because i think that people that don't ask questions like that are often those who already have some sort of ideology that they're very rigidly attached to so for example if you're whether you're let's say a, a super extreme right winger or you're a super extreme left left winger or whatever it is like there's there's some sort of universalist philosophy that that they've attached themselves to that that has a you know a, a script for the questions already so they don't end up asking those questions necessarily um and that can provide you with short-term comfort where you know you say that right everyone else is bad and i'm good people who think like me are good and people who don't think like me are bad like that's fine short term but long term that's just not a solution and certainly not how we want uh, the world to work um i find that people who are maybe a little bit less attached to things are the ones that often end up asking those questions. And I think that can, that can be, a, as I said, a fruitful process, or it can take you to kind of dark places sometimes, you know, I, I had a guy, I think, yeah, I think he was a guy. Yeah. Who messaged, who emailed me a few months ago, um, kind of saying that, you know, he was fine. He was re he was probably at the extreme of the self questioning and questioning everything side of things where he was like, you know, are my parent are my parents good people? Um, you know, I, I my my question are my parents and the people around me are they do these things and they say these things, but they don't have evidence to support them or they haven't thought mm -hmm. through all these problems. That's when things start to get a bit messy because your expectation is that everyone else should be overthinking problems to the extent that you are, and that every decision needs to have like <laughs> citations to back it and stuff and i, I find that, that the, <laughs> yeah and i find that the the quite the, the kind of rational um the rational male who is you know maybe coming from a some sort of a kind of a science background um, and they're exposed to the kind of rationality mindset online like that can it can just make life very difficult and sometimes it's almost easier to just 
go along with what your parents said, you know, yeah. <laughs> within yeah. reason. Um, so, yeah, I do, I do definitely find uh, that that mindset is quite prevalent. I almost think that rationalizing things too much actually then becomes irrational. Yeah, absolutely. You're not bringing feelings and thoughts and different Emotions. types of people yeah. into it. 100%. Um, but at the same time, I think these questions on philosophy and stoicism, which we talked about a lot in our podcast, is vitally important, I think, for people to have a think about. But it's so dangerous that when it does become overthinking, and I would know people that would struggle then with their own lives because if you you can look at it a number of ways and one way you can look at it is that what the fuck are we doing here what is the point and it can start going low and low and low whereas my outlook is that there's not a huge amount of meaning to life in the grand scheme of things but i take great i take a bit of energy from that thinking that whatever mm -hmm. i choose to do I can put my own spin on it and want to create really your own meaning. Yeah. So my my meaning to my life is the people I spend it with, my family, my friends, what I do in terms of work and um, you know surfing and football and all that sort of stuff. But I can understand how someone could start slipping down a, a slope where they can't get meaning from that. So I think the meaning is from what you decide in in the end. Um, yeah, and, and seems, there's there's a there's definitely a dark element that you can find there. Um, what's that there's a show on Netflix by or with Jamie Dorn as the star and it's it's about him like reading he reads Nietzsche in it and I think he starts murdering women Do you know, I, I can't remember is the name of it The Fall is it is it The Fall it's The Fall yeah, yeah. that's it I think uh -huh. uh, but it's it's an excellent <laughs> show but but um, that's I think that's actually there's actually some seriously powerful messages in there especially if you've read the books that they kind of sneak in um, throughout there because he's reading He's reading Nietzsche and it's it the I think the foundation of the story is that him and one of his friends in college, they came across Nietzsche and they started to question, you know, all these different things about morality and, and what is good, what is evil, etc. And they end up on the dark side of that spectrum. Mm -hmm. uh, and the, the thing is, there's an element of truth there. And if you've read the books, you end up sympathizing with him almost. But it's it's basically that, you know, that the everyone else around you has uh, this slave morality where uh, whereas you now you're you know taking control of your own life you recognize that there's no true good no true evil and he ends up being kind of you know basically doing whatever he wants uh, mm -hmm. because he he's rejected all norms of the moral systems that we abide that we abide to um and there's a there's a power that's I, I found it to be quite a powerful message even though it's it's a it's a very dark show and you obviously mm -hmm. shouldn't do what he did but the that's that's the dark side of it that people have to be careful of is when you start to question all these things sometimes you might realize that there's actually not that bedrock that you thought was there mm -hmm. um, and you can't rationalize yourself out of that problem sometimes whereas i think more classically you know it, like if we take ireland for example um, Ireland's like baked into the constitution is, is Christianity and, and Catholicism more specifically, I suppose. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the kind of given for the longest time has been that, you know, uh, human rights or, you know, our morals, etc., are derived from God. They're derived from religion. And that is that don't question that there's huge problems with that idea of don't question that. But it's also the case that, okay, 
uh, that's good, that's bad, right, I'm going to aim at the good, let's go. Okay, there's some sort of direction. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're the hyper-rational person and there's no bedrock there, there's nothing to stop you going beyond that line, now you're messing around in that territory. And you see that a lot these days where people will um, romanticize people like, for example, Ted Kaczynski, uh, the Unabomber, um, who has, I've got his book mm-hmm. there, he's got a lot of good things to say, you, you know, I recommend reading his thoughts, but he again is someone who was willing to go far beyond that line and, you know, blow people up and murder them for the sake of them understanding his ideas and as a warning to the future. So uh, if you don't have some, some sort of moral bedrock and you are that rationalist and that person is questioning everything that can lead you to dark places, both personally or mm. in terms of how you interact with the world. So um, it's, it's a road you should walk carefully. I think. Definitely. And having someone to talk with like yes. Aiden and myself that's how <laughs> you start so. telling me shit like that <laughs> but you do find with um a lot of that side stoicism you know the general all-around message i think from stoicism is you know be good do good so yeah. it's a wee bit light light-hearted and you can you know we talk about the daily stoic mm-hmm. um and uh, that is generally most of the most of the message and mm-hmm. with the whole rational thing it's it's just do good within the day if you can and then try not to rationalize everything to the point that you become paralyzed by it i guess yeah absolutely and i think stoicism is a stoicism is a good practice and i think a lot of the messages to some degree they're they're over simplified but they're yeah. useful in the sense that like you said be good do good there's there's a a huge 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 assumption in there that there is a good and that's 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 what I mean is that whatever your philosophical system or or the way that you think about the world, there has to be some sort of good. Otherwise, it's it's very difficult to to navigate. And if you were to take stoicism but remove that bedrock of there being some sort of good, now you're rationalizing beyond the line. And um, that's that again is is very messy messy territory. But yes, stoic philosophy can be can be very useful. Definitely. Um, I'm glad you you're the one that referenced a TV or a movie there because you were. Speaking. I know. I thought you were going to call out. Thought you were going to call me yeah, out. Yeah, you don't thing. watch Netflix. You said before. Yeah, you didn't want Netflix. But yeah, yeah you no, I've seen. One. I've seen a few. I've seen The Fall. I've seen You. You is another good one. Uh, that kind of falls along with maybe a similar theme. Um, oh God, I haven't seen much else now. To be honest, but I've seen those two. That's, that's I watched. Something. I watched Bodies recently, actually, which was great. That was. Yeah. Uh, that was very medically oriented as an <laughs> obstetric and gynecology ward. And I love those types of shows. So. Do you ever go way off um, the scale then? And would you uh, indulge in something like Stranger Things where like, it's just not conceptual or, it's, you know, it's just like way bit too much far-fetched? Do you find that you switch off when you're watching something like that? Or are you just getting frustrated with it? I, I don't know what Stranger Things is about, to be honest. I But I've... Like to be honest, like it is, it is something I'm trying to deviate away from. But most of the, if I watch TV or if I watch a movie, I, I love, like I, I love the medically oriented stuff because again, it's 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 useful to some degree. But I also love those kind of movies that and shows that have some sort of a philosophical message built built in. You know, like the fall like mm-hmm. i watched it with my girlfriend she didn't she didn't recognize the books or anything but i was able to pull some extra things out of it um so there's almost always some sort of 
if I'm watching something, there's a purpose of watching it. And that's trying, that's something I'm trying to get away from. I'm trying to um, have things that I read and have things that I watch that are just purely for like escapism and just, you know, enjoying them for their own sake. And sometimes what I've been doing recently actually is I'll go on, you know, YouTube and just watch like old, like soccer videos United in the 2000s, like Roy Keane (laughs) compilations. It's just that sort of escapism. Um, I've really enjoyed because I think I used to be quite into soccer when I was a, a teenager. Uh, I was a big United fan. Um, but as I kind of moved into adulthood, I totally moved away from that. Mm-hmm. Um, because again, it was like, I've always just been like, if something doesn't have a purpose, then why are you doing it? So now I'm trying to push myself back towards, you know, watching the Kerry game at the weekend, which I wouldn't have done a few years ago, mm-hmm. watching, you know, United clips and, and those types of things. So trying to find a bit more of that escapism that you described. But if you recommend Stranger Things, I might give it a shot. <laughs> we'll I, would, I would highly recommend Just something now I'm thinking, maybe when you do start having children, it would be really beautiful if they start to bring that out in you because you'll have yes. to get on that level of imagination and play. Yeah. And, you know, I might scratch that itch that you're struggling with right there yeah no that, and that's what that's actually a great point because that's one of the reasons i i love 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 being around kids and i've been to an orphanage in, in belarus that i've been to seven or eight times and every time i'm there it brings that out in me and, and i love it and you know my girlfriend has a little cousin and you know anytime that you know we're with her we were with her yesterday again it brings out that kind of childish side where i'm not thinking about work this doesn't have a purpose it's not it's not just everything is about bringing it back to work or self-development, et cetera. Um, so, so yeah, that's, that's kind of my vice I would say is mm-hmm. trying to turn everything into something that's purposeful and yeah, kids is definitely something that, that can take you away from that. So I hope that that will be the case. It doesn't have a purpose, but it has every purpose at the same time. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 I shouldn't say it doesn't yeah. have a purpose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, uh, but I think that's, so important like that well we talked about play yeah yeah play and being childish and i'm lucky at the minute the job i'm in and uh, mm-hmm. like i have a we have a kids club in an hour's time now where we have about 30 kids and we're teaching them surf and you're playing uh-huh. games and sometimes myself and the other instructors get more into the games than the kids <laughs> yeah, like yeah, you yeah. know we're just enjoying <laughs> it but um, in terms of that, I think that's really positive. Any from the signs of it that you're, because um, listening to, to you describe your workload, it's uh, it's scary to me to a certain degree. But listening to you explain that you're you're finding more things for yourself sounds real yeah. positive. But I think it's really important. And I actually I, the other thing you just reminded me of is I I bought a PS4 as well like a month or two ago. Again, nice. on this, you're reminding me that basically trying to be on this journey of finding that play, as you mm-hmm. say, is a good way of putting it. Things that aren't work, things that are, that are just pleasurable, that aren't just about development. So yeah, the PS4 has been useful as well. Mm-hmm. Trying to trying to go back to my fi- my 16-year-old uh, Call of Duty Modern Warfare two days. You know, so nice. that's yeah, the nice. And how do you find then in terms of the relationship, like you said, you had a girlfriend there and your family. Mm-hmm. How do they find you know that you probably have to book in an hour slot to meet you and have a cup of coffee or how do they sort of deal with that yeah my my family are it's it's okay with my family because um i'm away from kerry at the moment anyway um i'm up in cork so um but but i would to be fair now i would have found that and my dad would have said this a couple of times where 
anytime I would have come home in the past, it was probably prior to the last year or two when I would have come home, it was like, right, I'm home. Hi lads. How are you? Let's take the laptop out. Click, 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 you know, straight away. It's just, it's work, but it's with them rather than being with them outside of work. Whereas what I've definitely made a, a huge effort to do now is, you know, when I get home that I'm kind of working as little as possible and that I, you know, make an effort to go in and see my grandparents or our friends are around. I'll go and see them I, again, just, just trying to divorce my normal life from work. So that's the family side of things with my girlfriend. Again, it's definitely something that's, it's, I probably one of the the greatest sources of friction because as you'd imagine, you know, if you're, unless you're someone who just is like at the extreme end of low neediness and you don't, you know, care about seeing your boyfriend or girlfriend, it's going to be very difficult to be with someone like me, you know, mm-hmm. it's because most of the time, like if she wakes up in the morning, I'm already in here typing, you know, and I'll say bye to her when she goes to work and then she comes home from work and I'm still here. You know, and then she might say, you know, what are we going to do for the evening? Or have you, have you, do you want to go for a walk? And most of the time I'm like, no, I can't. I'm afraid, you know, I have to, I have to keep working. So that can be very difficult. And that's something again, that I've made uh, a lot of steps to try to improve over the last while is, is, Mm. you know, saying yes to the walk that has been hampered greatly by the hamstring, I must say. (laughs) uh, Very slow walk. Yeah, but even even like I was in Croatia there for two weeks and it's the first time as an adult that I've had a, a work free holiday because normally we go away on holidays, me and my girlfriend and I bring the laptop and I still like it's it's when I look at it, like some people are like, oh, man, you're so hardcore. But it's almost embarrassing for me because when I look back at previous holidays in Thailand and stuff, I have photos on my phone of me up at four o'clock in the morning before we go on a day trip of me on the laptop. And I mean, there's something romantic about that, like the grind and you see it in the motivational video or whatever. But when you reflect on it yourself, you're like, oh, it makes me feel a bit icky. Like, it's like, you know, could you not have just taken a week? Could you not have just taken two weeks? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's my perspective now. And th- those two weeks in Croatia were very, very fruitful. Um, and it's kind of given me a bit of a, bit of a realization that, you know, taking two weeks off work, your clients aren't going to die in that time. You know, they're, they're going to be fine. Give them guidelines before you go away and they'll be fine. You know, I've got Patty. I've got other staff that can look after things at triage. It was fine. It took me, it did take a few days now to kind of wind down a bit. And I was definitely still on my phone a little bit, messaging the team and messaging mm-hmm. some of my clients and, and doing a bit of social media stuff. But um, I definitely found that there was huge value in just taking that time to relax. So so yeah, a lot of lessons learned in the play and relaxation arena. And fruitful in the sense that you still have a girlfriend as well, which is always good. <laughs> that is good. Yes, I do. I think we I should do. get her on the podcast. We need to ask her the questions. Might be a different story from her. <laughs> I don't think that would be very positive. <laughs> so thank you, Gary. We really enjoyed that chat. It was good to meet you via the internet and hopefully someday we'll have a coffee together myself and Aidan got a lot from that conversation and we hope you did too we missed out at the end uh, as Aidan alluded to earlier uh, we got cut short by about 5-10 minutes but really what Gary continued to speak about was that, that sort of search for meaning um, and different types of people and personality and a bit more about mental health which unfortunately got cut off but 
hopefully we might have him again some stage um, once he becomes a doctor and we can delve into that a little bit further but one thing we did focus on or that I found from it was that he seems to be a man that is also searching for meaning much like the two of us and again that just ties brilliantly into the book that we are reading this season which is Man's Search for Meaning Meaning Meaning, yeah, great book Um, we highly recommend you to read it before we debrief on the last podcast of the series Um, for now again just a quick prompt give us a little follow, a little like um, tell someone about us it really all helps and until next week peace and love peace and love Sure, I have the right mic on here. I do, yeah. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Soul Brew Podcast. This is season four, episode five, eight days a week. This episode, we are talking to Gary McGowan from the Triage Method, also known as Skinny Gaz. <laughs> That's my cue, is it? <laughs> I don't know where I was going with it, bastard. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't much of a cue there, sorry. <laughs> and I can't see you. <laughs> uh, okay. Let's retake that again. <clears throat> Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Soul Brew Podcast. This is... Hi, uh, Jesus. What? <laughs> what? The message tone. I don't know if it was yours or mine, but... Oh, it must be yours because I didn't hear it on my side. I'll hear it on the thing. <laughs> Bastard. Take three. <clears throat> oh, the meeting's going to end in ten minutes. <laughs> oh, we'll have it done. We'll have it done in five. Okay. <clears throat>